Good afternoon, everybody. This is Joe Cunningham back again. Sorry for being out so much this week, but I promise it was all for a good reason. But I am back here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. If you want to be uh, part of the conversation, 232-1542. You can also send a message through the KPL app chat. I have that open on time and everything, so you can let me know your opinions. Thanks to Mark for filling in for me yesterday, and uh, I look forward to talking with you all today. Of course, when I'm out, that's when a lot of stuff happens and just stories accumulating over the past two days. I don't have enough time to get into everything that I want to get into, so it's important that you go to the show notes, joecunninghamshow.substack.com, And you can see all the stories I want to talk about. There's actually some stuff from Tuesday's show that I didn't get to, some stuff from today's show that I won't get to, and I'm probably going to have to roll most of that into tomorrow because there's a lot of it that is important. There's some news coming out of China that I really want to get to, and I hope I get to that today. But if not, definitely want to talk about it tomorrow. But I want to start local today. Statewide, of course, we're looking at the... Governor's race. And of course, Richard Nelson jumps in. uh, And so he becomes the fourth Republican to jump into the race. We still haven't heard from Garrett Graves. You're going to have an announcement some way or another, I think, tomorrow from Graves. I think that Graves isn't going to run. But at the same time, if he does, you can thank the L.A. GOP's open letter, Louis Garbage's open letter calling for him to not run. As one of the things that kind of incites you, it's it's almost like throwing down the gauntlet, like, I dare you not to run. But Graves is not a very controversial guy. You've heard Moon say it a lot. He's not a stand-up type of guy. Not that he's a bad person. He just doesn't stand up and, and fight for issues. And really, Graves is kind of boring. Graves is a boring guy. Schroeder's kind of a boring guy. Schroeder has a little bit more of a conservative backbone. He does pick some fights, like the BlackRock fight. But Graves... Graves doesn't stand up and fight, and that's not that he's a cowardly thing. He's a nerd. Garrett Graves is a nerd. He is a policy nerd. He wants to, if he wants to run for governor, it's because he wants to get some things done, like infrastructure. Infrastructure is his big thing that he loves to talk about and can go on on infrastructure and infrastructure policy and how we need to fix our infrastructure. He can talk about that a ton, but he's not going to fight on those conservative issues. And Louisiana conservative voters really want a fighter right now. And that's why you see Jeff Landry getting so much support and why he's so popular. Sharon Hewitt. I'm, I'm sorry. You may like Sharon Hewitt. I don't have any problems with Sharon Hewitt, but she's not a stand up and fight kind of person. She, she's not going to bring any excitement to the race. Like I said, Schroeder has stood up and fought for some things, but Even he's not somebody who stands up and fights very often. Jeff Landry's that guy, and people want that type of of person in Louisiana leading the Republican Party. So I and and frankly, Jeff Landry has the money, he has the support. He's gonna go further than those other candidates. But you know, the governor's race is not the only race on the ballot this year. We have legislative races, and there are several open seats, including some right here. In our area, and I want to touch on those briefly. There are three House seats in Lafayette, all of which are open seats this year House District 43, House District 44, House District 45. 
House District 43, Stuart Bishop, listed as an open seat. According to Jeremy Alford, Lafayette Parish Councilman Josh Carlson is supposed to announce this week, or maybe he already has and I missed it, that he wants to run for the seat being vacated by Stuart Bishop. Alford notes that this House seat rarely draws a big fight. Here's the race I'm looking forward to because of the rumors surrounding the race. Now, I've, I've done some digging. I've talked to some people, and here's what I know. In Vincent Pierre's seat, he's leaving. There is one declared candidate, and that is uh, Ravis Martinez, who has declared that he is running for that seat. Uh, Martinez is is the president of the Lafayette chapter chapter of the NAACP. Local uh, uh, local organization has ties to local uh, local groups and local activists. He's going to run for that seat, but that's not the name that I was originally hearing. There were two names that have been tossed around, and and I can confirm that both of those names are actively looking at running for the spot. Neither is it has announced or has decided to announce, but they are both looking. And that is Lafayette Parish School Board member Timmy Chasson and Lafayette Councilman Pat Lewis, both considering jumping in that race. Um, that is a, a big Democratic seat, and that will be a very interesting race to keep an eye on because these will be three men with a lot of influence, especially in the black community in that part of Lafayette. And I think it will be an interesting race. I don't see it getting particularly brutal or nasty, but I do see three very distinct profiles in that race. And it will be very interesting to see how those three politicians will navigate around each other and through that campaign and you know whoever wins that seat, how they navigate the politics of Baton Rouge. The other open seat, Jean-Paul Cousin, House District 45, listed as an open seat. Um, you've got uh, Brack Myers, Senior Vice President for Corporate Development for LHC Group, uh, has apparently raised $150,000, according to Jeremy Alford in La Politics Weekly. Um, as of last week, there was a women's fundraiser at the home of Dr. D. Garrett here in Lafayette and a breakfast fundraiser uh, last Thursday at the home—I'm uh, uh, sorry, the uh, the Thursday morning of the Washington Mardi Gras uh, at Bistro B on the Hill. So some big moves being made there for that seat. So those are three local seats you will see some action in. Only one declared candidate in House District 44. Again, uh, Ravis Martinez. And I think that's going to be an, I'm, I think locally that's going to be the legislative race to watch. I think that's going to be the most fascinating of the races to watch. But, of course, there are some other seats to look out for. Um, Sheck Snyder. Sheck Snyder. uh is his seat is open. House Speaker Clay Sheck Snyder, his seat is open. Who's going to replace him? Remember, he wanted to run for lieutenant governor, but then Billy Nungesser backed out of the governor's race. And so now he's going to run there. We don't know what Clay Sheck Snyder is going to do. Officially announced to replace Sheck Snyder is Ascension Parish Sheriff Jeff Wiley. 
Um, there, St. James Councilman uh, Jason Amato is also looking to make a. Uh, they're they're looking for him to make a bid, and many believe that he's going to qualify for that. That will be an interesting seat to watch as well. So there's a lot of interesting seats that are opening and that we need to be looking at because if you'll recall in 2019 in 2019 the republicans lost the governor's race because of stupid infighting and just uh eddie Rasponi turning off a lot of republicans in ralph abraham's congressional district and and john bill edwards backed into this into the governor's mansion again but at the same time Voters gave Republicans a near supermajority in the House and Senate. Came very close to being able to give a veto-proof majority. And in fact, there has been one veto override in the last four years. We have another session coming up. Who knows how that's going to go? It being an election year, you might see a little more tension between the governor's office and the legislature. But it's hard. I find it very hard to believe that the Democrats will really be picking up a whole lot more seats this go round. It could very well be the case that Louisiana Republicans do pick up a veto proof majority in the House and Senate. Not that they would need it if the Republicans can actually get their act together and make sure that a Republican wins the governor's mansion. But as much attention as we're going to be paying to the governor's race, we need to be looking at these legislative races, particularly the local ones, because we want to know who's going to go to Baton Rouge and represent us, who's going to be going to fight the battles on the uh, on, in, in the legislature in Baton Rouge. And as much as I've talked about the national stuff, as much as you know, we cover national topics here at KPEL, I've said it before and, and it bears repeating. Local matters more. Local affects you a lot more directly than what happens in Washington, D.C., even more directly than what happens in Baton Rouge. Yes, and I know some of you are out there saying, but we want to save our country, we want to save our state. That's absolutely true. But at the same time, at the same time, we want to make sure that locally we are represented by the very best that we have to offer on local school boards, local city and parish council, who we send to Baton Rouge, all of that matters a lot more to us than what actually goes on at the state or national level. So that's why I wanted to bring these races up today because they are very important. If you live in the district covered by House District 43, 44, or 45, you want to be paying attention to this. You want to know who's going to be running who might be affecting you. And you want to frankly reach out to those people and talk to them and see, hey, do you actually support what I support? It's very important. Get involved with your local races. Understand who you're talking to. I'm going to be bringing as many of these people as I can onto the air because I want to talk to them. Talk to some folks today. And I want you to know that I'm going to make sure to bring that information to you. Because it's not just me being partisan here. If you're a Democrat, if you're a liberal, I want that liberal voice to be represented as well. I want to bring somebody in. Why should they vote for you? Why, or why should you vote for that person? I want to have them in. Just have that conversation. 
we can have the partisan fighting later when they're actually seated and making decisions. But right now, the most important thing is that you know who's running. All right, let's go ahead and take the break. I ran a little bit long there. When we come back, talk about some more of these topics that have just been piling up over the past few days. I am back. I'm here today and tomorrow. We will get through as much of this as we can right here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. Um... So this is new. It's of interest to me because I I occasionally like to hunt. But uh, chronic wasting disease, there have been now, I think, seven cases found uh, in Tinsaw Parish since late 2022. We first started getting reports in December, now getting uh, more of them. In fact, uh, this past Tuesday, the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries confirmed five additional suspected cases of chronic wasting disease in deer Discovered in Tinsaw Parish, according to officials, two bucks and three does were harvested on private land, which brings a total of seven chronic wasting disease positive cases reported in Tinsaw Parish since 2022. And before anybody panics, there is no known case of chronic wasting disease being transferred or transmissible to humans. The CDC says it, LDWF is saying it, but at the same time, it is something to be aware of. They are also recommending that uh, you should not consume chronic wasting disease positive deer and that if you harvest a deer from one of those areas where cases have been found, you get it tested before you do anything with it. All good ideas. What's interesting, though, is that we're we're actually across the country, we're kind of seeing a little bit more of it. If, you, if you've ever seen like what chronic wasting disease does. I mean, you can go look it up on YouTube. It's, it's frankly terrifying. Uh, I do not recommend it if you uh, <laughs> if you get nightmares very easily because it's actually kind of creepy what chronic wasting disease does. But at the height of COVID, there was talk that people, that, that one day chronic wasting disease was something that could jump from animals to humans, just like COVID apparently did. And there was a lot of talk about that. Right now, there's there's no case of that happening, but people are very worried. I mean, we now know that gain-of-function research can can do wonders to weaponizing diseases. So it's important to kind of, you know, be vigilant on that. That's why they're saying don't, even though there's no known case of, of it being transmitted from deer to human, don't consume it. That's just, you know, something to, to take note of if you... Uh, if you are uh, ever hunting in the northeastern part of the state, just know that chronic wasting disease, there have been cases around there. Anyway, that's uh, that's just one story. I, I, rem- I think it was I maybe Tuesday or Wednesday morning. Maybe it was part of the morning show. Um, but I remember hearing that story. And I just I remember reading a little bit about it. And I, I remember seeing the videos of what happens to deer when they get it. It's just kind of freaky. Anyway, uh, about to take a break. When we come back, I want to shift to some national stuff. The debt ceiling fight, Davos, all this stuff going on around the world. What does any of it actually mean? I want to kind of go into that, kind of explain a little bit, because there are some things that you need to know. And of course, a lot of misinformation out there because, hey, we can't actually trust the media all the time on this. But we will get into that after this bottom of the hour news break here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. We'll be back in just a moment.
Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5. KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, glad to be back with y'all today. So the debt ceiling fight. Let's talk about that first. Um, I'll get, I'm going to get to the World Economic Forum, Davos, and all that. I'm going to get to that later. But I want to talk about the debt ceiling fight because this is actually an important discussion that's being had on Capitol Hill. You heard Fox News. Uh, the Democrats are coming out saying, we're not negotiating on this. We want a debt ceiling raise. We, we want the debt ceiling to be increased. And the Republicans are saying, well, we want to talk about cuts. And everybody's saying, no, this isn't how you do it. There's a bit of a problem. Um, Axios, in particular, Axios has reported today. Let me pull up the story so I can get you the exact wording here. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has a tenuous hold on a GOP caucus dominated by Republicans who reject the normal mechanics of governing. When history doesn't go back before Barack Obama, as a journalist, you may believe that. The problem is what the Republicans in the House have been calling for is a return to the normal mechanics of governing. And I could explain it to you, but as somebody who has been involved in education, if I can make sure the levels on this are right, there is somebody who is much more qualified to explain this. Woo, you sure got to climb a lot of steps to get to this Capitol building here in Washington. Well, I wonder who that sad little scrap of paper is. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's a long, long journey to the Capitol City. It's a long, long wait while I'm sitting in committee. But I know I'll be a law someday. At least I hope and pray that I will. But today I am still just a bill. Gee, Bill, you certainly have a lot of patience and courage. Well, I got this far. When I started, I wasn't even a bill. I was just an idea. Some folks back home decided they wanted a law passed, so they called their local congressman, and he said, you're right, there ought to be a law. Then he sat down and wrote me out and introduced me to Congress, and I became a bill. And I'll remain a bill until they decide to make me a law. There it is. That's the normal mechanic of governing according to the U.S. Constitution. That is how the House of Representatives is supposed to operate. Now, what Axios is referring to is how things have operated since the late 2000s when Barack Obama took over. See, in the last, let's see, since Reagan, every president has really spent a lot more money than they should have. And then Barack Obama spent way more than all of his predecessors. And then Trump spent the same amount, and Biden's on track to spend the same amount. The problem is we're spending more than the GDP. The, the deficit is bigger than the U.S. GDP, which is a problem. Nations that end up doing that don't really last very long. What we've done since Barack Obama came into power is we have ruled by crisis. 
what happens is that Barack Obama came forward and said, we're about to hit the debt ceiling, raise it. And the Republicans and the Democrats in the House and the Senate said, okay. And so they waited until the last minute till we were about to hit the debt ceiling. And then they passed a, they, they, they by, by fiat basically said, we're raising the debt limit. What they did is that leadership in the House and Senate put forward a bill. They all came together. They put forward this bill. Everybody voted on it to raise the debt ceiling. We moved on. The debt ceiling is there because we have a constitutional obligation to pay our debts. It's actually in the Constitution. But instead of doing that, the debt ceiling was put in to keep us from spending over. But instead, what the debt li- what, what we did is we just started extending the debt limit, raising the debt limit. So as a result... Barack Obama comes in and says, we need to raise the debt limit. Okay, so we just keep doing that every year. We keep raising the debt limit. We've been doing that. Even under Trump, we did that. Even when Republicans were in control. Fun fact, Republicans are more likely to produce spending cuts when they don't have the White House, but they have Congress. Well, they don't have the Senate, so they can't really get away with that right now. But what they're trying to do, what the House conservatives that fought against McCarthy's speakership did was they forced him to concede we're going to do this by normal process. We are going to put forward a bill that offers spending and cuts. And we're going to try to get that through committee. We're going to have an actual debate on the ideas. And it's a great idea. The problem for House conservatives is that even some conservatives and some moderate Republicans are actually fiscally pretty liberal. And so they are more inclined to spend than they are to you know, give way to social issues, for example. This is a pretty big problem, though, because now we've gotten to yet another crisis. Joe Biden waited until we were at the crisis point and said, we need a debt ceiling increase. And Janet Yellen came out from the Treasury Department and said, we need a debt ceiling increase. And McCarthy said, my hands are tied. We're doing this the traditional way. We're doing this with the introduction of a bill that's going to go through, through committee. It's going to be a much longer way of doing it, but we're going to do it. So this is a process that could take weeks or even months. And it's the right way to go about it. I'm not sure the conservatives will win this fight. I think we'll get a a clean debt ceiling increase. I don't think we'll get many spending cuts. But the fact that the Republicans, the conservatives in Congress have forced this fight in the House is ultimately a good thing. Remember, when they got the concessions from McCarthy, I'm not a McCarthy fan. I wish he wasn't the speaker. But when they got the concessions, objectively, it made the House more conservative. And this is one of those fights where that's happening. Now, you can rant and rave and say the credit of the United States is at jeopardy. It can cause a bunch of financial crisis. Well, that's the problem when you continually raise the debt ceiling without ever offering any cuts to the point where we just keep increasing the spending and we keep blowing past our debt limit. We cannot keep doing that. It is unaffordable. We as a country will not be able to function if our deficit continues to regularly be greater than the GDP. If you took all the money that the U.S. government makes this year and tried to put it toward our debt, we would not even cover the deficit. That's what I'm saying right now. You could not do it. There is a line in the Constitution, the full faith and credit of the United States, which let the rest of the world know that we pay our bills, except currently Washington, D.C. doesn't want to pay its bills. It just wants to keep raising raising the debt limit so they can spend more and more without ever offering any cuts.
this is the debt ceiling fight right now. So when Axios and other journalists say the Republicans are, are, are standing against the way things have always been done, yeah, they've always been done since, what, 2008, 2009, when Barack Obama took over. Before that, it was the way the Constitution actually says to do it. All spending has to come from the House. Anything that affects the U.S. government like this needs to come from Congress. It needs to be a bill. The bill needs to be put forward. It needs to be debated, go through committee, get put before the floor. If it goes to the House, it goes to the Appropriations Committee, goes to the floor, gets voted on, goes over to the Senate. The Senate goes through appropriations. If they decide to pass the same bill with no changes, hooray, it goes to the president's desk. If they put in changes, well, then the two uh, chambers— The House and the Senate have to come together with a reconciliation committee. They have to combine it all into one bill that's acceptable to everybody and put it back to a floor vote in both chambers, and then it goes to the president. No top-down legislation from leadership that has predetermined what would happen weeks before to give it to everybody to vote on, let it pass, and move on. America desperately needs spending cuts, and that includes defense. As much as neoconservatives don't want to hear it, it does include defense. We are spending entirely too much across the board, and it is not sustainable for our country. But if Joe Biden, if the Democrats, if all the journalists out there are saying this is the Republicans' fault because the Republicans aren't doing it the way things are supposed to be done, well, guess what? They're wrong. Because the way it's been done since 2009 is objectively wrong. It does not follow the way the process is supposed to be. Which means we have a bunch of people in Washington, D.C. who have forgotten what Schoolhouse Rock teaches us. Because I know that there's a lot of you out there listening who heard the opening notes to that little uh, clip I played. And you recognize immediately that it's I'm just a bill up on Capitol Hill. But it seems a lot of us have forgotten that. A lot of the people that are supposed to represent us have forgotten that. We're living in a time when Washington, D.C. does not actually care about the full faith and credit of the United States. We're not going to be able to pay our bills. And we're going to keep raising the debt limit because, frankly, Republicans and Democrats love to spend money. And they don't want their pet, their precious pet projects, their precious departments, whatever it is, whatever social or fiscal object they so desire to face cuts. But they're going to have to. I mean, hell, take ten percent across the board. That would do a that would do wonders. It's not going to happen, but it would do wonders. Oh well, I suppose we can dream of a more fiscally responsible Congress. Not sure it's going to happen. But anyway, let's take a break. When we come back, Davos, the World Economic Forum. I've avoided it until now, but I cannot any longer. We'll talk about it here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5, KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5, KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation The World Economic Forum is a place, it's a gathering in Europe where a lot of people dressed up in fancy clothes and suits I'll never be able to afford 
fly in on planes I'll never be able to fly on, to talk about issues that matter to them. There's a lot of coverage of the World Economic Forum and who said what, and it's mostly focused on people who are technocrats. Progressive technocrats who believe that the world is coming to an end and that it's all us Hicks and Rube's fault. And they come together, they spend a lot of money, they bring people in from all over the world to talk to them and tell them that they are right and that it's their ideas that are going to save the world. And in reality, their ideas, when put into practice politically across the world, have failed to work time and time again. But they keep coming together because they can afford to keep coming together and keep patting themselves on the back and say, look at all, look at this good job that we're doing. We are coming together. We are telling developing countries they don't need to develop because we don't need more consumers. And we are telling people that they need to stop consuming. We need to tell, we're telling people they need to switch to green energy. And we're going to have Al Gore once again come talk to us about things that he's not been right about ever. And John Kerry is going to go and say it's kind of extraterrestrial for us to be coming together and talk about saving the planet because they have egos that are far too large. And they did something very strange. All these people with funny accents, including Larry Hogan, all these people with funny accents invited a guy with a funny accent named Brian Kemp to go speak to him. And Brian Kemp sat on a stage at the World Economic Forum and told all these technocrats and all these progressives all these people who are in favor of COVID lockdowns that they were wrong and that he did the exact opposite of what they said and the people of his state are thriving because of it. And he's absolutely right. They invited Brian Kemp because Donald Trump hates him. And if Donald Trump hates Brian Kemp, then Brian Kemp must be good people. And he just went and told them to their faces that they were wrong about COVID. But all of these other people who gather at Davos, who gather for the World Economic Forum, they go to listen to themselves and they go to pat each other on the back. They don't actually have any real... A lot of people say, oh, this is a gathering of the globalists. They, they're going to control the world, everything like that. These people have a lot of money. They have a lot of influence. But you know what they don't have? Any connection with you and me. Any connection with voters. People... That, the countries that have actual democratic processes, these rich technocrats don't actually have influence over them. They don't. And so when their pet politicians do get into power and they start implementing some of the policies they've been advocating, those policies fail and they become deeply unpopular. And as a result, the people vote them out of office in those democratic countries. And if they can't get voted out of office, and what do you see? Around the world, you're seeing protests against a lot of these progressive agenda items. The technocrats believe they could just set up the right system, they will save the planet, despite the fact that every date they've given as certain doom for planet Earth has come and gone, and the certain doom has never happened. You now have European countries wanting to pull out of the Paris Accords because they have to go back to coal because the other progressive policies on clean energy just aren't working. They tried to do them and they ended up in an energy crisis because Russia went to war in Ukraine. 
all of a sudden we don't look so dumb as they were making us dumb Americans out to seem. All because we knew better and we voted better. Yes, we've gotten some bad politicians, you know, throughout the years. But overall, the American public just at the right moment makes the critical vote that keeps some of these people from staying in power. And yes, the country shifts further and further to the left, and that's not something to be celebrated. But at the same time, you and I and voters across the country have looked at far left progressive policies, and we've said no thanks time and time again. There's a reason we got Joe Biden and not Bernie Sanders. There's a reason we got Joe Biden and not Pete Buttigieg. There's a reason we got Joe Biden and not Elizabeth Warren. Even the Democrats are like, that's a little too radical for me. And yes, the Biden administration is trying to be that radical, but they're getting a lot of pushback from the voters. And they will continue to do so. Because at the end of the day, Davos, the World Economic Forum, the only people that matters to are the people that go to Davos to the World Economic Forum. Also, they can sit around and pat each other on the back and put forward policies none of us will ever vote for. All right, you guys have a fantastic day. 23 hours and I return here on the Joe Cunningham Show. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Like I said, the show notes are live. The podcast edition of this show will be up momentarily. JoeCunninghamShow.substack.com. You can also check me out at RedState.com. You want to see the stuff I'm writing there. Lots more to get to to, uh, tomorrow to close out the week. Shannon is offsides next here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.